One mentor often says, when we are busy, the Father is quiet. That I think in the scrambling, we often miss, but if we are to slow and pause and sincerely ask, you know, God, we consecrate our interpretation and we ask from you for a healthy, true and right interpretation that aligns me closer, ever closer with reality, it is being made available to us all the time. This is Morgan and Alan, and welcome back to another episode of the Ransom Heart Podcast. Interpretation is everything. It is. Right? Oh, it is. And last week, I think we left the listener purposely with, if nothing else, just name and start to see where you're having faulty interpretation in your life. Because what we want to do this week is now turn the corner and say, given that we all have faulty interpretation from when we were younger until today, how can we actually make a difference in changing that? How can we break those faulty interpretations and live free of that to see what's true and what's real about us, about those we love, and even about God? So we're going to start that conversation right now. There is a learning that only comes through trial by fire and experiences. And like we talk a lot at Ransom Heart, to not waste our pain. Mm -hmm. We have the opportunity to learn really holy and sacred lessons through the miles that we log. And there's no shortcut to the initiation of the soul. But I would also say with wisdom's long view, we do have an opportunity in the moment to have access to a healthier and truer interpretation. And I think that idea of the humility to say there is a way in me that seems right, that feels right, and yet at the end leads to death. And so one of the things that helps me is always staying open to the possibility that I don't have the interpretation correct. And what it does, Alan, for me is cultivates the intimacy with God. It cultivates dependency. It cultivates the confidence of God's reliability to steer me clearly. And another piece is knowing that to lean into the wisdom around me of the community and the mentors that have gone before me to help borrow in areas where my interpretation is lacking. And I'll give an example. I lost one of my younger brothers, Lance, to a battle with brain cancer, and it was a brutal battle. And in the throes of it, there were some things that God, by his grace, gave me very deep visibility to. Like a lot of people were fighting for him to live longer. Mm -hmm. And God had given me some revelation that his days were numbered. And that's not the way the story was going to end up. And so by actually seeking with an open heart to hear, God gave me some visibility. And yet in other ways, I still was going with a false interpretation. And one of those areas I've battled with financial scarcity in my life and fear around finances. And so I was investing a ton of money in fighting for his life. He lived in Pennsylvania. I was in Colorado. And over the 18 months he was alive, I averaged every three weeks being with him in some way. And I wanted to take him on what I sense to be the last great fly fishing trip. He is a master fly fisherman and that's where he was happiest on the water. And I had never fished with him on the flats in the ocean. And I wanted to go for it, but I didn't have the courage to throw down, which was a ridiculous amount of money for me to make this trip happen. And 
I knew enough to know I couldn't see clearly, but I couldn't see clearly. And so I know in those moments, part of the abundant life is leaning into elders. And I went to a mentor, Jim, and said, Jim, walk me through this. Here's my fear. Here's my concern. And his brother had died when he was younger. And so there was a real camaraderie here. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Morgan, spend the money. You will have zero regrets of the money and the time, period. And it was like the voice of God to my soul that it didn't take away the fear or the scarcity, but it reoriented my interpretation to say whatever outcome results from this choice, yes, I'm trusting beyond my own interpretation in this moment into the wisdom of the elders. And that's one area that has proved time and time again to be tremendously helpful, not to put them as the voice of God, they're human, they're fallible, but to just come with humility to know I don't see clearly and confidence that God through those who have gone before me can speak wisdom if I have ears to hear. Yeah, that's so good. And I think in those types of situations, there has to be a humility And like you said, I don't know everything that I think I know. Or my read on the situation is not the ultimate read. Yes. Something else is at play here potentially. And so just a hunger for what I would call an examined life. Yes. Like the ability to think, even though I would say with 100% certainty, this is an accurate read, it may be completely inaccurate because of my brokenness or because of my past scars in a situation, or my ego, or my shame, or whatever it is, even when it's just you and a spouse, or you and somebody close, a child, or a parent, or a best friend, to have the humility to say, I would bet anything this is right, and I'm justified in how I feel, and yet my interpretation meter can be so twisted Mm -hmm. that somebody objectively looking at it would go, no, 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 no. That's, that's not at all the right read. Yes. Or have you considered this? And so Morgan, the question is, are you willing to consider that your interpretation of a situation or of a relationship is not the only interpretation? Because that to me is the first step. If you're willing to go there and say, Yep, even though it feels like I know what's going on and I know why I do what I do, maybe I don't. Like to me, that's the beginning of entering into a correct, true interpretation for our our life, our relationships, our dreams. And if we don't start there, we, we kind of stay stuck in a wrong interpretation for as long as we refuse to look. It is so helpful, Alan. I do think that posture of soul is so important as we seek to align our interpretation with reality. I think for me, too, the constant consecration of my interpretation. I bring my seeing under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. I consecrate how I view my reality. And as I do that, there's some opening in my soul to God's interpretation and constant, and now I would name it 
when I was younger, they were more severe. And now it's just slow and steady, constant course corrections towards true life-giving interpretation. And Alan, I think where I find so much hope in this is God is initiating the restoration of our interpretation. And I think for me, the embodiment of, of wisdom really helps to get to that. Like in Proverbs 1, when it says that wisdom calls out aloud in the street, she raises her voice in the public square at the head of the noisy streets, she cries out, and at the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. It gives me great hope that God's not trying to be elusive, that God is Mm. very vested in our seeing clearly. It's his heart. It's his intention. And here in the scripture, it just shows that the voice of God does cry out, even in the noise, even in the busyness. The question is, will I look for it? Will I listen for it? What I'm hearing and what you're naming is God offers us clarity in situations if we will ask or listen or slow or look. And on the flip side, I think the enemy constantly is throwing confusion and chaos and misinterpretation. And, and he's been doing that since, you know, I was, I was about to say he's been doing that since the garden with Adam and Eve, where he misrepresents God. But he was doing it before then when he, you know, got a third of the angels to turn against God and the rebellion in heaven. Like clearly the angels could see God, were with God, and they could see Lucifer. And you think, how could a created being, an angel, get one-third, one out of three of his fellow created beings, angels, Mm. to turn against their creator? But somehow, through confusion and persuasion and fog, he did. He did, Scripture says. He, He had a third of the angels rebel against God. And so a big part of what we're talking about, I think, is Right. We need clarity and we need wisdom. And yet there's opposition to that that isn't just our brokenness, but is also the fact that we do have an enemy. Remember the story John and Stacy Eldridge have told where they talk about in the early years of their marriage, they were around a table, the kitchen table, and both of them were feeling like the other was irritated, frustrated, angry at each of them. And it took them this moment of revelation to say, wait a minute, you're not feeling that way toward me. And no, I'm not feeling that way. Are you feeling that way toward me? No, I'm not. To realize, oh, there's a third presence in the room. It's not just a husband and a wife who are misinterpreting. There's actually an enemy who's thriving on creating chaos and disruption and disunity. Alan, yeah, that insight is very helpful because the enemy is constantly at work to corrode our interpretation, confuse, misrepresent, to bring a faulty interpretation. And as you share that idea, one of the questions that I reflect on is, where has my interpretation gotten me in trouble Mm. over the years? And as I'm kind of wrestling with this, okay, well, how do you align with reality? What's a constructive way? to get to healthy interpretation. Well, I have to start with, where's it gotten me in trouble? And I think in the early years of marriage, Sherry and I are going on 18 years, and the earliest years, the enemy, as I look back, was just constantly whispering that you don't measure up. You're not man enough. 
you're not stepping up enough. You're not leading well enough. Just constant, quiet, subtle accusation that would just incite my intensity. Okay, yes. I, I am a very intense person, and it's God-given, but when it's out of my broken heart mm-hmm. or out of my pose, I use it to seek the answer to my question, use it to be validated rather than to bring a genuine strength. So I look back at those earliest years and I would have told you that I was offering my best efforts in love to lead my wife. That in our marriage, I was seeking to be a leader as best as I could have understood it. And I would include Sherry as much as I could and my posture was to love her, I would use words like fighting for her, and I was doing the best based on my interpretation of what leadership looked like. So pause, fast forward, years later, counselor's office, my wife is in tears over our marriage. And I'm going, oh crap, what have I done? Yeah. And my wife described what her experience was like in those years. And yes, there was much graciousness. If she were here, she would be much kinder and softer to my heart. But to be honest, the pieces that I heard that were most important was she felt unrepresented Mm. as a leader. And she felt like I had, she described it as I had the trump card for decision-making in my back pocket. And she said, I was very loving and I didn't wield that card. Mm. I didn't pull it out and say, I'm the leader. Here's our decision. But she knew it was in my pocket and I could exercise my trump card at any time. And here's the effect that it had. It diminished her heart. She felt like a bird in a cage that was desiring to fly, but wasn't free. And In my defense, I was trying to love her, but my interpretation of leadership was quite off. And, you know, in Ephesians 5, early in my marriage, I was taught when I first came to Christ, Ephesians 5, 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And what I failed to get to with all my heart was verse 25 that says, husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loves his kingdom and gave himself for her. And Ellen, what I was struck by over the years is that my interpretation of leadership was such that like many men, I used the idea of being in authority to hide. Mm. I used it to wield a power that was actually based in my fear and in my shame of not knowing how to lead, of not knowing how to love, and my shame and fear of not truly yet being a son and feeling scarcity. I held out on my wife and I didn't give her room to flourish and to thrive. And it's an example of my interpretation of what it looks like to lead for and lead more importantly with my wife in love was far off. And and the reason why I share that is we are so committed 
in this mission for people to be healthy and at peace and well. And so this question is, what is the fruit? What is the fruit? And if the interpretation that a person has on a situation right now is not bearing fruit, then we want to invite you to be curious about maybe you need to ask some really big questions about the interpretation with which you're bringing to your situation. And it's either it's through humility, through consecrating your interpretation, and through asking the honest question of where has your interpretation gotten you in trouble? Oh, yeah. That's so good and it's so hard, we know, to do this well. But as you're saying that, Morgan, like I've had recent conversations with my wife, Kelly, and ongoing conversations with her and my kids, coming to them and saying, what does my presence evoke in you? Because my interpretation may be I'd give myself an A plus in the strength I'm bringing and in the kindness and in the focused attention. But as you said, the humility having that to ask and really listen, not defend, but to say, do you feel loved in my presence? Do you feel safe in my presence? Do you feel like you have my attention? Because our interpretation is not what matters most in that, meaning us saying, no, 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 I did a really good job, but to ask for their interpretation of the people closest to you. And that could even be, you know, extended to your coworkers the people that you supervise, if you have a team. It could include people that you regularly come in contact with on a small group. But you don't have to protect your heart when you do that. But if you prayerfully step into that with the desire to have the right interpretation, I think it's huge. There's so much gold there. And one other suggestion I would have for people is to let your prayer constantly be, God, let there be light. Yes. Let there be light. Because in anything that is confusing or that, you know, you just feel yourself stuck and you and you don't know, that's such a good prayer. Because where there's confusion and darkness or fog, God, let there be light on what's really happening. I had a situation literally this morning that just finished playing out where I had sent an email to a friend five, six days ago and was inviting them to look at something that I thought would be of interest to them and didn't hear anything. And so for six days, my internal interpretation was, I can't believe they're blowing me off. Like, I can't believe they didn't even take, how long does it take for a five-second email response of, I'm busy, but I'll get to this. Mm-hmm. And so every time I would think about it, it was this negative, offended posture that I don't like about myself, but that was my interpretation. Well, this morning, before we go into the podcast studio, I get an email and the person basically said, hey, I've been offline for the last week, haven't Mm. been checking email, I've had all these things come up in my life, love this idea, I'll get back to you in a few days. Mm. Totally changed my posture, but I had spent a week with a faulty interpretation and didn't really ask God for his light, didn't ask for me to have more patience in a situation where I have no idea what the other person is thinking or doing. So Morgan, I think that's, for me, that's just proven huge is to say, right, I don't know what's going on in this other person's world. And rarely is what's going on anything to do with me. Mm. Like we assume when we don't hear back or when somebody seems 
distracted or disengaged that it's their opinion of you that's coming out, when actually most of the time what people are going through really has much to do with us, but their own baggage, their own issues, their own struggles. And if we can just start there, that it's not necessarily about us and how can we bring love and light and mercy and grace and not a wrong interpretation into it. Yes. And even in that instance, what I hear you saying is just putting words to it to say, what is my interpretation and what is your interpretation? How are we seeing this situation? Mm -hmm. And so often, as you're saying, let there be light by just naming, this is how I see it. Yes. Or another person who you care about, who's entrusted to your care, naming, this is how I see it. When it's brought into the light, it's only then that we can begin to align and to heal. But an unnamed interpretation often is a faulty one that cannot be restored and cannot go through course correction. So I appreciate a lot of that prayer of let there be light is is the courage to put words to this is the way I'm seeing it. I want to invite you in. If we're willing to go there with the thought that maybe our own interpretation isn't right, or may not be complete, and that involves our interpretation of ourselves, of the people we love, of the people who we are around in traffic and at basketball games and wherever we are, if we'll go there, that our interpretation of other people's thoughts and motives and our own actions may not be correct, as real as it seems, I think the last thing we want to invite people into is take it one step further And ask yourself, is my interpretation of God correct? Because if our interpretation meter is off and we're thinking, boy, in life, God hasn't come through. He's not fair. He's silent. He's not present. All of those things don't align with what Scripture says about God. And so part of our interpretation is, I think, asking ourselves and spending time with the Father on God, are we interpreting you right? Mm -hmm. Because that, to me, is where life begins. Mm. And if we have doubts about God's goodness, about who he is, about him not coming through, it's really hard then to trust him in the dailiness of going through life with us and helping us interpret the people around us. We could say a lot more. There's so many stories, so many things. But I think For the listeners and for our own hearts, probably the best way to wrap up this second podcast in this series is just to pray for correct interpretation and light. So would you do that for us? I'd love to. And Father, I do just want to start with Alan's last idea of how much we long for a true interpretation of you. Jesus, your power and your life modeled and made available to us. Father, the generosity of your heart and your provision and your perfect care for us. And Holy Spirit, your kind and personal leadership, your counsel that comes to us, your guidance, your way in leading us into all truth. God, we want to have a healthy and true and wholehearted interpretation of you. And so we ask God that you would dismantle the ways we have learned you, not as you truly are, that we would interpret you and your kingdom in its true light 
Jesus, just as you modeled for us to pray, Father, reveal who you are and set the world right. And we're asking that the world be set right in us. And so we consecrate our interpretations. We consecrate our seeing. We consecrate our hearing. We consecrate our believing. And we ask that it would be aligned evermore with reality. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would expose ways we are interpreting our story and the lives of those around us and among us in ways that are unhealthy and unhelpful. And we just remind our hearts of the scripture that you speak out with wisdom's voice that says there is a way that seems and feels is right to us, but in time, it leads to death. God, in humility, we open ourselves to the reality that there are ways and pieces and parts of us that do not see clearly, that there are ways in which we are inhibited that cause us to interpret from a wounded heart or a traumatized heart or an angry heart. Jesus, I pray your life and your love would come into these places. We ask that you would heal our interpretation. We ask that our interpretation would begin and end with the substance of who you are, with the reality of your kingdom among us, and with the provision of your life coming to make a way where there is no way. So we bless this community of friends. We bless them with ever increasing health and true alignment in all of their seeing. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Ransomed Heart Podcast with Morgan Snyder and Alan Arnold. We hope to see you back here next week.